Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com code LISTEN. You are listening to Mist Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. It's spring break still. We've endured weeks of an F1 desert, but soon we'll be breaking our F1 fast with a race in Baku in just six days' time. That's right, because it's a sprint weekend. We'll be looking a little into that in the show. We'll also be talking about the reshuffle at Mercedes. We'll ask are there too many races in America? Should we be exploring other seasons? And was Kimi Raikkonen the 2008 contender that everyone's forgotten about? But first, a little bit of Mist Apex admin. We're going karting for the first time in 2023, and we want you to come with us. So, on July the 1st, in the south of England, do you want to come and go go karting with me and possibly Matt and a bunch of the other crew? We have, uh, we're on the, on the verge of booking a nice little track just 30 minutes from the M25, and I think we're going to be releasing those tickets this week. So, do yourself a favor. There's only 42 spots. So, email me now at spanners at mistapex.net. With the subject line karting, and I'll get you on that invite list. Spanners at mistapex.net. And we are also going to do, instead of our live coverage this time, we're going to do some drive to survive style coverage. So expect contrived drama and red flags. We'll try and do a live recording in the morning as well.、Um, but you will get, for your money, 45 minutes on track, which is plenty. That's three sprint races and a place in a final. There'll be pizza and chips, and there will be beer、uh, afterwards as well. So, for your carting and your pizza and chips, I think we'll be looking at about 140 quid, but that's for a whole day of missed apex, carting, and a little bit of socializing as well. Now, then, we are still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? I gotta say, I'm really looking forward to complaining about having five races in six weekends after weeks of complaining about having no races in four weekends. If you don't complain about both things equally viciously, I will be very disappointed. 
<laughs> I'll do my best. Uh, we're also joined by a kindly vet. It's Chris Catman Turner. How's it going, Chris? Good. I'm in the new podcasting setup in here. And just to mark that occasion, it has now started bucketing it down as you press record. So there we, we go. Well, we can't hear it. So that's a testament to how posh your shed is. Shed life for the win. Shed life forever. Absolutely. And, and it. Chris has always been our second Chris. But to demote Chris down to being our third Chris, we have another person called Chris. We've got Christina Mace from Canada joining us. Hey, Christina. Hey. I'm doing good. You're doing good. Uh, uh, the Canadian Grand Prix is not far away. Have you booked your ticket yet? I wasn't able to get one, but I very well may just try to bribe people with some maple syrup to get in. You got to go and check out Christina's uh, TikTok channel. She's uh, Christina F1 and is somebody who is introducing and helping newer people through the sport. But unlike certain people who we won't name, the boys, you actually care about the racing and F1 and it's super informative. Zoom, zoom. Welcome to the shed, Christina. Plenty to cover in the news today, but I think the big thing we have to cover is the reshuffle at Mercedes. That's got to be the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. So if you cast your mind back to winter testing, when Mercedes were, were teasing that they'd made steps forward from last season, everything was going to be positive. The one thing I was screaming was, just announce the side pods. Show me some side pods. I thought they what they're not going to do that to me, Mercedes. They're not going to come out with a 2022 clone looking car just painted black but with no side pods pods and scaring all the Mercedes fans, not me. I'm I'm neutral of course. But they did. They did indeed roll out the the size 0 Mercedes again. And even during those first few days of winter testing when they were looking slow and cumbersome Mike Elliott was the man that seemed to be the most under fire, not just from pundits like us and on the sofa screaming at our TVs, but it seemed to be internal as well. So Toto Wolf seemed to be openly declaring war on that concept. And Mike Elliott did look a little bit awkward and sheepish in front of the camera. And then indeed, as the, the opening races panned out and the Mercedes pace wasn't there, the pressure seem to be not so subtly being pushed on the technical head. And and so, Matt, it has come to pass that Mike Elliott has been, well, he's, well, I don't want to say failed upwards because that seems harsh, but he's been removed from that hands-on technical lead post and put in a, a more, uh, well, promoted into a an overall managerial structural position. But it's clear to me that, Although it's been a productive and honest conversation, they do definitely seem to have gone, it's the concept and and it was that guy. Yeah, well, you know, just to get into it and to be clear, it's not the side pods or the lack thereof per se that has been the issue for Mercedes. It's a sort of a long, complicated technical story. Which is more to do, really, I think, with the floor and the rear suspension and those sorts of elements, as we discussed uh, with Summers on the last Tech Time. But the reality is, Elliot himself felt adrift in this role. And after discussions, Allison was agreeable to coming back and taking over that more hands-on role, really. 
And Elliot is looking more to the future, the larger organizational structures, things where he feels he has more core competencies. So uh, this was inevitable, but it also, as you point out, hides a deeper tale of disagreement amongst the Mercedes engineering team about the best way to proceed after last season's unhappy result. That being said, though, Allison left the front line in 2021. I can't remember exactly when. It might have been July. So the zero pod concept would have been started under his watch. So if anything, Elliot kind of bore the brunt of Allison's mistakes, possibly. And maybe you could say that they moved away not quick enough because they only realized in February this year that it just wasn't going to work. But actually, you know, Allison coming back, he, he did leave initially because he had a, a couple of personal uh, concerns that made him leave the front line. He went to pursue other things. He said he wanted to bow out gracefully, but I think he's now had, because he went to a, a three day a week role as a CTO. And I think now he's had some time to be able to reevaluate and wants to bring that Mercedes team to the front. So you could, the, all the bluff is saying that uh, Elliot is stepping down by, by himself and chose to do so, but that could just be a lot of PR speak for moving someone aside gracefully. It could be, but I want to point out one thing that I love about this story that you will frequently hear me rant about if you've listened to enough of these shows is how influential the media coverage of Mercedes' start of the season probably was with how rapidly this change occurred. Because let's face it, the first tracks were not Mercedes-friendly's track. They weren't good for Mercedes and this car concept. Australia is probably the first track where we got some idea of what the potential of this current design is, not the new design that we'll eventually see next season. And on, on top of that, we know from Mercedes and from Elliot, the plan all along was sort of uh, what I like to call the dip our toe in the water. Like we're going to show up with a bare bones model, make sure it's running to the parameters we expected after the surprises we got last season. And we already have a fair amount of development planned for it. And they showed up and because that was their plan, they were off the pace and the relentless media hounding, I think, is one of the main reasons we're even hearing this talked about now instead of at the end of the season. Absolutely. And part of that might even be self-generated. As you said, Toto was very vocal. Lewis was very vocal as well in criticizing that concept. And they're, they've said they're working with, with a flawed concept and they'll be revising it. So I think they brought it on themselves somewhat. But what I do enjoy seeing is they haven't just fired the guy and you know, cast him aside because that's very much a, a football mentality. Whereas in Formula One, you know, what they've done is they've they've realized he's still got strengths. You know, you don't get to be the the technical director of a Formula One team without knowing your stuff and being able to produce results. So they've moved him into a place where he's actually worthwhile. And and I think that will be that that's a good way to go. So the the question is, will will this yield any results? And um, let's let's go over to our, our new friend, Christina, or Chris too, as I'm very quickly wanting to call her. Um, we here on Mistake Apex Podcast in the Shed, uh, we, we abhor neutrality. Uh, who are you a fan of within within F1? Within F1, I'm I'm an Alpine girlie this year. I oh, I'm not another one. Blank, blank. Well, yeah, they're 
they're one of the few teams besides Red Bull that I feel like are coming into the season actually knowing what they're doing. And that's honestly my biggest bone to pick with Mercedes is that they've had so many years of dominance. They know how to function as a team that's succeeding. And one of the big things last year was that they were, it felt like they were just struggling to find what the problem was and just find a decent baseline. And they were bringing so many things where it was essentially trying to Mm. fix and not upgrade, which yes, it's something that they had to do, but overall Mm. this year, having them swap out those staff members, but still keep them on and keeping, you know, their good positive, they are good at having that good team mentality, but you were seeing cracks in it mm-hmm. when Lewis, George, Toto, everybody were having slightly different comments publicly about what was going on and how the car was doing. So I'm hoping that this is a move in the right direction of them actually tackling the problems and us seeing some real solid solutions. Absolutely. And Allison being in charge is a good thing because he masterminded a lot of uh, race winning and title winning teams, Benetton, Ferrari, Renault when Alonso was there. But back in those eras, they had a lot of time to test out these new concepts. So maybe the size zero concept would have been sunk before the season back in the noughties because they would have had days and days and days to test it and go, oh, this isn't correlating to what we're seeing. Let's go back to something else. Whereas now they've only got four days worth of testing all in one week and they just don't have the time. So if they get stuck with a concept, then that's it. So these guys are absolutely ingenious, but haven't had time to deal with it. So this is not the only interesting thing to come out of this position swap. It's important, I think, to note that Mercedes has had an outflow of what you would call almost senior talent to other teams. They've lost some of the engineers that might have been moving up into senior roles to Red Bull, to Ferrari, and other teams. So they have suffered a little of a talent gap at that level. But it's also important, and I think this is one of the most interesting things, but that would probably just be me, is that the chief designer, John Owen's role has now been split and his assistant, Giacomo Tortora, will be taking over a lot of the administrative details for maintaining information about the cost cap. Now, I don't know if you file taxes, but I will tell you right now, as an independent contractor, the amount of work I have to do just to prep for my accountant to be able to file my taxes is pretty time consuming. And this is sort of an interesting place where new regulations are interacting with the team and possibly not helping them out all that much because we're talking about the chief designer of the car here spending a lot of time filling out spreadsheets with financial information instead of like you know designing cars i want to know about how fast they're going to go around in circles enough admin my goodness and enough cost cap as well oh it is nearly cost cap time isn't it when when do those figures get announced because i cannot i can't wait and as much as you know, it's not all about the drama. I can't wait to see who stayed within the cost cap in 2022 as well. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I, I think that Mercedes, Haas, Alfa Romeo, uh, Alfa Tauri, uh, Alpine, I can they probably name nine teams that I think stayed within the cost cap in 2022. Uh, but I want to talk about uh, the optimism, you know, coming out of out of one particular part of Mercedes, and that seems to be George Russell. So George Russell is saying that they have gained more in the last two weeks than they did over winter. But as to your point, Christina, about, you know, do they start talking like a team that's stuck in the the high midfield and not championship contending? 
or do they act like a team that's just about to to fix everything and get back into winning ways? George Russell is always very positive and is always like at the moment now is he so he's champing at the bit isn't he to kind of go no it's going to be fine everything's going to be brilliant it's cool and there's way more interviews like that from George Russell than from Lewis Hamilton. Oh, Christina, sorry that was that was aimed, oh, yeah. that was aimed at you. <laughs> sorry, well. Honestly, it makes sense. George spent how many? Three years. He spent three years in the Williams. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he is comfortable with cars that don't make him entirely happy and that he can see that silver lining. He has to have developed that positive mentality to survive three years being at the back of the grid. Like for him, it's just a completely different reality than Hamilton, who is like, no, I expect excellence from this team. I expect to be listened to when I give feedback. And that was one of the things that he voiced his frustration over was that, you know, the team didn't entirely listen to me as much as I think was warranted. So, you know, I think it's probably more likely that their performance realistically is somewhere in the middle of those two opinions, because they're just coming from it with a unique perspective comparatively. Like it's not an unbiased opinion it's their own personal perspectives uh, yeah i agree and even russell is very careful to point out that the advances he's seen in the simulator still have to be confirmed on track and this is this was mercedes original plan for this concept which i, I do feel vaguely compelled to point out according to them is only being dropped not because they don't think they can catch ferrari and beat them like a gong but because they don't think they could catch Red Bull with this particular concept. So so they're, the only reason we're hearing all of this is because they've decided they can't beat Red Bull at the rate they're going, not because they can't beat anybody else in their current format. And the development path for this car was always sort of preordained. And so it's not perhaps a huge surprise that these advances are coming when one would expect them to, and that they're adding a lot of speed. Because after all, Mercedes were always fairly good with their development and with being able to out-engineer problems. One lovely thing about last year was that Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes all had vastly different concepts, and that was so technically interesting. But unfortunately, it's a little bit inevitable that one of them is going to be the dominant package and they're all going to converge on that. So we're, we're not going to have for much longer, I would have thought. I think Ferrari will go that way as well come next year. So Jose's just said, uh, I know side pods maybe isn't the problem, but maybe just try. Like maybe, do you reckon, you know, in that scene in Happy Gilmore, where Happy Gilmore, he does the dancing down towards the tee and does the, the hockey style run up before hitting it and then shoot him a Gavin secretly on the practice tee, tries it and is all frustrated. Do you think in the practice garage somewhere, someone has sneaked some side pods into the Mercedes wind tunnel? Maybe, maybe they have. Uh, Christina. Yeah, just going back for two seconds to the concept of Mercedes being good at upgrades. A huge part of it was also that they were capable of throwing money at a problem. They were able to spend true, like hire people and spend that money to have their team continuously working. They were able to have as many engineers as they wanted. And this is where the cost cap is probably affecting them more than all the other teams because they were spending a lot more than so many others. The others are used to functioning under a constraint, whereas Mercedes, they're adapting in a huge way to the cost cap to new regulations. It's kind of a perfect storm for them to not succeed. Oh man, I can't get the... Uh... 
I can't get the happy Gilmore out of my head now. What if they turn up in Baku with their side pods and they win and... Uh, yeah, Toto Wolf comes on the radio and goes, somebody learned to side pod. But George Russell really does look and sound optimistic. The quote was, and I don't know where this quote was from, Matt, but the, it was an interview. Obviously, it's George Russell. Uh, big changes are incoming. Naturally, you can't get things brought to the car quickly, but I think in due course, we'll see some big changes. Asked if uh, he has tried the changes on the Mercedes simulator. He said, yeah, uh, we're working really hard on these at the moment. I won't give too much away. Uh, and we need to make sure they work as expected. But clearly expecting something positive. Uh, but it just so happens that our next news story involves Mercedes and the team that Christina has incorrectly declared fandom for, the I-can't-believe-it's-not-Renault team Alpine, think that they are going to be fighting Mercedes this season. So... The, the, they think that Aston Martin is going to be too far ahead to catch, but the Enstone team uh, has, has not abandoned its goal of reaching at least fourth and is, is going to, uh, and I assume that's in italics, Matt, so we're ripping that off wholesale from another website. You've been on mute the whole time. So, as I said, this has been a long-term goal for Alpine, and they've had this goal all the way back to the golden days of a beatable and they've not quite managed to make the leap. And here they are once again, putting their mouths where their money may or may not be and saying they think they can make this happen. Even even the most hardcore fans. Sorry, Matt, where did we take that article from? I don't like to, to read out quotes and not know where we got it from. Uh, I believe uh, uh, the quotes would have either come from the race or motorsport. Sport.com. I'm going to look down at our links and tell you in just a second. Very clever. But surely, uh, Christina, you don't share that, that optimism. It's wild for them to think they're going to be fighting Mercedes. I don't think it's wild at all. Honestly, in my mind, Alpine are making progress and they're advancing, whereas Mercedes is kind of standing still and trying to figure out where they're going to go. So the big question is, does Mercedes, you know, pick up their big boy pants or big girl pants, whichever one they choose? and actually start making progress. Because if they don't, then yes, I do think it's very realistic for Alpine to catch up to them. As well, Alpine, the first three races, we know that they have good pace. We have seen that. The results don't accurately reflect necessarily what could have been good races. Ocon got how many penalties the first time around, but Gasly went from back of the grid to getting points. And then up until that last moment in Australia, both of them were performing well. So we know that that car has pace. It's just they were throwing points away with tiny little things. Well, hang on a minute. Tiny? Well, a, a wild rejoin <laughs> and then smashing into your teammate isn't tiny. It's, it's one moment, you know, <laughs> in, in a far larger race. Is it a stupid mistake to make? Yes, absolutely. Gasly's starts are probably the thing that are holding him back the most. The number of lap one incidents that he's almost or fully been involved in boy needs to work on that like that that is his weakest point i think the moment he gets good starts he would be fine and will be a lot more successful but yeah no questions asked that was a bad moment but at the end of the day it was one moment in how many laps um, you know well i do i think i think that is one of the best teammate coming togethers of, of all time of just sheer like facepalm moment if you, you you see uh, you know, an Alpine go, joining the grass. And then you see, uh, you know, one of the pink Alpines is out. So that's probably the one that had, oh, they're both out. What's going on there? And then you just see the replay because it's in mid-pack. 
But you know, I think that is up there with uh, with Singapore 2017 with the the Ferraris just inexplicably punting. What happened? Vettel ping ponged Verstappen into Raikkonen, and then and that was the most glorious start in the world as well for Fernando Alonso. He'd gained like ten places to for the privilege of being in the exact position for Raikkonen to come across and take him out. But honestly, like if that was in a higher profile team, we'd be talking that about that in as higher terms as uh, Interlagos. Was it 2018? Vettel again. Vettel and Leclerc taking each other out. Oh, 2018's a good year for this. This is off the top of my head, so tell me if I'm getting it wrong. Baku, 2018. Ricardo and uh, and um, and Verstappen. I, I, I think that coming together, yeah. this, this one forgivable moment that Christina's happy to hand wave away, I think it's up there in one of the, uh, you know, it's, it's almost 2016... Spain-ish with the Mercedes guys. Uh, Catman. I was going to say, it's also an expensive mistake given the cost cap dilemma we've just talked about. You know, the mm-hmm. these errors that he's making and the damage that he's causing are going to limit how much they can spend to try and fight against Mercedes. I, I suppose the big difference, Matt, is um, that that was really unlucky. He just happened to pick out his teammate, whereas all the other examples I said there was a lot of needle involved. Like Rosberg saw it was Hamilton coming, turned in. Oh, the, yeah. the Red Bull guys yeah. were biting heads. Vettel saw his Ferrari career disappearing. Yeah, well, I, I got to say, I don't think Christine is wrong to bring this up because after all, we're talking about the potential of the car here, not the actual point scored by the driver. And if we look at the differences it's interesting because they talk about in the article pat fry does like how much more they think they have to gain to catch mercedes but with the obvious caveat that they don't know what mercedes is going to bring to the table the point i would like to make is that everybody talks a lot about how improved aston martin is well if we're going to talk about side pods let's not forget that it was the alpine design that aston martin stole and just made more extreme for their for their water slide side pods so they have been doing original work on that car and if aston hadn't well i don't know if we could call it lucked out exactly but you know maybe with the amount of money stroll was able to spend we could call it that aside from that they would absolutely be the class of this midfield if everyone had made the normal expected development year over year i don't know i still i think it's very optimistic but i think you guys are right it does come down to them probably not expecting the massive Mercedes leap that is definitely it's definitely going to happen if we can just believe hard enough they can uh, win in Baku and Miami if you're a Mercedes fan completely neutral here of course um, but someone who's not neutral on their race venues is these Americans uh, can we call Canadians Americans because of the continent is there what's the term for people who live on the continent of America so that I can umbrella you I like to just umbrella people into pigeonholes North, North Americans. Americans. There we go. You yeah. North Americans and your greedy demand for, for races. So we're going to have the first American race coming up in Miami. And the big question is, is there too many races in America? But the, uh, the criticism would, would kind of be that, yes, yes, America, we know you've recently discovered F1 and welcome um, in numbers. And it's been a dream. It's been a, a long dream for, uh, for F1 to finally catch the attention of American mo- motorsport fans. And, and actually, for, for, for a lot of European fans, it's been a thrill. It's kind of like, it's like the, the, the cool kids. It's, I'm an American file. I love Hollywood. I love the glamour of America. I loved it when they did the announcers at Cota, when they introduced them like, a, like the ringside. Who was the ringside announcer, Matt? 
who did the, it's Fernando Alonso. Oh, who was that? Yeah, the boxing guy. I, yeah. I don't remember his name because, yeah. you know, I'm old. Yeah, fair. But I loved that. I loved all that razzmatazz. And when America started to really grab hold of, of Formula One, I thought it was so cool. I'm like, yeah, come on, cool kids. Come and, come and play chess with the, with the nerds. But now you're demanding that all the races are specifically in America or Canada. And uh, Christina, you are heading off to Miami. So first, before I I'll put you, make you answer for all of North America, um, are you excited to be heading down to Miami? I'm ridiculously excited. I have I have right here these like custom little Miami shoes that I'm currently stitching together. Oh, you're making so, Miami shoes. Oh yeah, they're gonna oh. say Miami on the side there. Okay, I'm cool. gonna put little blue stitching, maybe some palm trees. I, a lot of know, exciting. I did exactly the same for Silverstone. I, I I put Northampton. I stitched that into the bottom of my jeans. Equally glamorous. Yeah. It's uh and the thing I'm most excited about though is that I have a long list of people who I know through TikTok, through podcasting, through just a whole bunch of different Formula One digital communities. But now I'm actually getting to meet them in person and be like, you're real. Oh, don't. You're really real. Don't do that. I had podcasters <laughs> and influencers in my house last Sunday. It was, um, well, there was some cleaning up to do. Uh, sorry, Matt, you were just trying to get in there. I was just going to say, don't forget your uh, life vest if you're going to Miami because it does Very tend true. to flood down there a bit. Yeah. And uh, is this the one with the fake marina that is now real water? They're making it, it real. Indeed. They've made it real. Uh, but, you know, going down there, I do worry with Miami that it's much more about the people who are going to be at the circuit. So everything seems to be catered towards making it an event that you would want to go to. And I, and I get that. And I get everyone's got to make money. But for me, you know, Formula One has always been a, a TV sport. You know, realistic, I cannot imagine a season where I go to to more than one race so the concern is that yeah they get a lot of feedback from influencers celebrities and all the people in and around the paddock clubs but for everyone else around the world it's not that much of a spectacle based on last season yeah the the big thing for me as well is that if you're anywhere you're going to have a race you have to justify it and you have to justify it to the fans you have to justify it to the people who are regularly watching and in my mind, I don't think people would be complaining as much about going into the States if those races were good and were quality. Last year with Miami, we were hearing nothing but driver complaints about the track. Looking at the Vegas layout, Oof. it is it has the longest straight in all of the calendar at 1.9 kilometers, I think it was. Like It is absolutely massive. So that's the biggest bone I have to pick with it, is that... If you're going to come to the States, and the thing is, the States know how to do spectacle. They do that fantastically. So is it going to be an experience for people who actually go to the race, who are there trackside? Yes, absolutely. Is it worth the five grand that some people are paying tickets to go to Vegas? Are you paying five grand <laughs> to Vegas? Yeah. Yeah. But Miami's not exactly cheap either. No, Miami isn't. It's not cost effective. That's for sure. Uh, but I've been planning to go on a massive vacation since I was graduating and then COVID hit. So nice, now nice. I have a very treat myself mentality and I'm not going to look at the bill until <laughs> I have to look at the bill. And also, if you're coming from like Vancouver side of uh, of Canada, that is very much like a summer holiday in, in Miami. You might melt. Never. <laughs> Matt. Well, what I love about this is, 
you know, the, the complaint is always that somehow the entire continent of North America, which is easily as large as the entirety of Europe, has almost as many races as Europe has. That's so unfair. And uh, while your point about quality is well taken, I mean, you know, Singapore was hardly, you know, outside of crashes. It's not like always the most exciting race ever, nor is Monaco. Let's admit yeah. it. I think there are even some other people on the panel who'd agree with me about Monaco. I'm here. literally not watching Monaco this year. Do, do you remember I vowed last year if they yeah. kept Monaco on that I wouldn't be part of the race review? So I'm going, I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to have a week off. I'm going to, we're going to have Jono or Antonia lead that one up with you, Matt. Uh, sounds good to me. I'm looking forward to it because qualifying is always worth it, even if the rest of the race underperforms. But these races aren't just races. They're excuses for rich corporations to do lots and lots of business. So these destinations, Vegas, Miami, Singapore, Monaco, in certain ways, they're less about the racing of Formula One, although that's there, and a lot, lot, lot about the business of Formula One. And I would argue there, being in Miami, those parties, you get those invites, you go to the Red Bull party, man, you are having the bestest of all times. It's just an expensive disco, as far as I can tell. Oh, but that was such go... an old man thing to say. <laughs> it's just loud <laughs> noise. How old are you? <laughs> Sorry. Uh... Old enough. Old enough to remember standing on the wall at a disco, not dancing. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think we could go even further than that. So if you did a race per time zone, because there's 24 time zones, that's kind of how F1 wants to go to 24 races. So that would mean that there'll be six in the USA. We could break into some new markets like Africa and Greenland, for example, and you know, uh, we could could have some uh, some interesting parties around the world. So, okay, uh, I want Americans to to stay as Formula One fans to the level that they they have been. And if I look at, for example, our podcast statistics, the the single biggest group of our listeners now is is Americans. So, I want that to stay. I want that to to remain. But I have, you know, let's be honest, it's not established. At the moment, yeah, we we are dating like the prettiest girl at the prom at the moment. And it's great. But, you know, she's very popular. She's got a lot of options. So I don't know if that's a long term thing. And, you know, I don't want to see more needy saying to America, you know, are you, are you hanging around? Are, are you going to be F1 fans in 10 years? I hope so. But we've with all these new tracks so quickly, it's like we've bought. A, a down payment we put a, a down payment on a mortgage for a relationship that well we don't know we don't we don't know matt if this is a serious thing is there a ring is there a ring anywhere who needs a ring when you can start rumors about pop stars and f1 drivers oh yeah i forgot i was going to dedicate this entire show to the rumor that fernando alonso is dating taylor swift does any of the panel have any input on that rumor now, I saw the first tweet that it originated from. <laughs> Is it just someone tweeted it and now everyone's talking about it? Yes. It was a tweet oh. of someone being like, they became single at the same time. How amazing would it be if they dated? It. Okay, good. And it's a joke that's gone too far. <laughs> It's genius. It is genius marketing and hats off. Like, like I've seen it came from an Instagram story, people talking about it was written up in Spanish magazines. It doesn't matter. All that matters is I put the proposition to my wife and she was like, wait, what? And another hour of Internet was lost as the origins of this rumor. Yeah, no, this is exactly the thing. And no, you're not going to lose your American audience that quickly. We're not going to just get 
fascinated with a new bright, shiny object. Do you promise? How dare I've been you? lied to before. Do you, How dare remember you? Remember when Germany used to love us? Where are they now? Yeah. Well, see, the point I would make is look at us. We have... We have finally just gotten an American driver. And look at how many people we're watching despite that. In Germany, they're like, oh, no German driver? Eh, we're bored. Goodbye. Yes. So, no. I, 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 think, I think most of your American fans will stick with it. But I agree. We should be expanding to Africa and any other market that has races at a time that doesn't mean I'm awake at 3 a.m. to see yeah. the finish after 17 red flags. Sorry, Australia. It just had to be said. So, okay, so my, 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 my fear is too, too many too fast. If you look at the European tracks, we've had, you know, a long time to, to sort of trim it down and, and curl and adapt, and there's been a kind of an evolution uh, of which tracks the F1 goes to. And Monaco aside, I don't know what kind of cursed painting or what kind of bribery. Someone's got photos of someone in a compromising position. I, I don't know why Monaco remains as a, a Grand Prix circuit. But that aside, you look at the, the classic European circuits still on the calendar, and you, it's really hard to argue that it's not high-quality, bespoke, you know, designed for single-seater racing tracks. You know, Silverstone, Spa, Hungaro Ring, even Barcelona, which is looking a little bit cramped now. That is still you know, a classic a mega track. If you're in a rush to kind of cash in on, on the new American popularity, you've got Cota, which is a quality track, and... Uh, Montreal, which is probably the best street circuit on the F1 calendar. But then you go to Miami, you look at the likes of, of Vegas. If they want even more races, it's not going to be a, a bespoke grade A circuit. They're going to look to go into cities. Street circuits are, are trash for racing. And I just feel like if they pump it up, they're going to build up the excitement, producing these below quality racing excitement street races. And it's going to be a castle built on sand. And that's not what I want for America. I want America to, you know, embrace it properly and be patient and have enough of a substantial and sustained following to go, let's build more coters. Because the Circuit of Americas is one of the best tracks on the on the calendar. There, I've been yelling stuff for a while. Matt, you yell stuff now. Road America, Watkins Glen. We already have some good circuits. They yeah, exactly. Need- yeah. upgrading yeah but but those are those are places with with a heritage of racing so those places if you could upgrade them they would take it seriously there's a there's a core blood of of racing there that isn't necessarily there if they just want to throw city center tracks together yeah but you still have to grow the business hence vegas which formula one itself is promoting they've never done that before that's kind of an interesting experiment on its own and i've heard talk that Indianapolis is not out of the question when it comes to new U.S. venues, despite the, um, was it 2005, Catman? Because you would know this. The rather yep. interesting race in 2005. Yeah, where only six cars started the race. Yeah, that, was, that was really interesting. A good two hours wasted there. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I, I disagree that street racing is trash. Oh, it, God's it, sake. To a, to, wait, wait. To, oh. a European, to a European eye, certainly, but the Americans are very used to their street racing. Yeah. If you just look at their recent uh, IndyCar exploits, Roman Grosjean will tell you that um, street racing is exciting. Yeah, well, they end up just in walls, don't they? Um, it's, in fact, this is a little good segue whilst we're talking about American motorsport. Um, Christina, I've noticed yes. on your TikTok channel, of which you have about a billion followers, uh, you did a, a recent breakdown. Really, you've been using this summer break to you know, explore other motorsport, which is something that I always nag myself to do, but I just don't. I know exactly when the F1 races are. Formula E just comes and goes. I never know when it's on. I just hear, like, I see an odd tweet going, ah. Oh, that was quite a good Formula E race, but I never know what channel it's on, how to watch it back or anything. Um, and I think we get the same with Indy as well. But can you convince us in a few minutes, why should us uh, blinkered Formula One fans check out Indy? Uh, let, let's stick with, I think, IndyCar uh, specifically. I think one of the things that appeals is we probably know a lot of the drivers already, so we can be emotionally invested. And it's a bit more of a spec series, but I think... Um, I think it's hard for a lot of Formula One fans to get hold of because it's either an oval or a, or a street track. IndyCar, the number of overtakes that you're going to see in a single race will sometimes be more than you will see in an entire F1 season. Or may, that might be me exaggerating a little bit, <laughs> <Probably not>. but <laughs> the sheer number of overtakes you get in IndyCar makes it worth it. You're actually seeing racing. And again, because it's a spec series closer to, you don't actually have a car that's making a runaway for it. You're going to have the pack close together for the majority of the race. 
So you're actually getting to see a lot of good racing. It's not one team is far, far, far ahead. You have three or four different people contending for a race win and for a championship mm. any given year. Like, it is really fun. It's really exciting. And my personal favorite thing about them is that if a car is still in a drivable condition, but it's gone into a barrier, the trackside marshals in their like little safety car equivalent will come out, will get the car out of the barrier and turned around properly. And they can keep joining the race. They can keep going. Mm. So you don't lose cars. And having more cars on track means you have more competitors, which is better racing. I I see the appeal of that. And, and and I suppose you could just say, you know, if you want a spec series, you know, definitely there are some great spec series out there and IndyCar kind of falls to that. But does the team element, which is so prevalent in Formula One, th- does that have a factor in IndyCar? No. It, it, like, it doesn't don't... really matter who's in what team. They don't particularly collect team points. They'll do a trophy at the end for the engine manufacturer that has the most points. There's only two of them, though. So it's it's a nice little you know thing they get at the end, but there's not a whole bunch of stock placed into it. At the end of the day, though, the, the crown jewel of IndyCar is coming up next month, the uh-huh. Indy 500. Okay, I'm going to so tune in. If you're going to give anything a chance, start with the Indy 500 because it is an absolute spectacle. There's a lot going on. There's, again, a lot of familiar faces. And as much as it is oval racing and you have to adjust and get used to that, it's really fun. It's really exciting. Like, it's it's just a different type of chaos. So it is interesting across the, um, the generations because we, we probably span three and a half generations here on this panel. But to hear you, like, talk about overtaking as, like, a feature, like, oh, it's got more overtaking, so that must be better. Uh, whereas the likes of, uh, you know, me and Catman, maybe some older European f1 fans i don't come on if we watched f1 for the overtaking we'd have stopped watching f1 a, a long time ago <laughs> anyone who sat through the 90s you go, oh there's there was an overtake oh i was i was napping for that overtake i know and they often didn't catch it on the replay either so you'd basically yeah. miss the one <laughs> exciting thing or the itv era the, being an advert one thing indycar has got right is the push to pass. So in the, yeah. when F1 DRS, you know, it, it just provides easy overtakes, whereas DRS, uh, it, sorry, push to pass, I think, is it 10 pushes that they've got that they can use through the race, or is it 20? I can't remember. But they can deploy them attacking or defending when they want to. So it's it's absolutely awesome, and that's what F1 should do. Yeah, and it's not just overtakes. It's not just overtakes. It's the fact that they are quality overtakes. You're talking about, you're talking about cars that are separated by, you know, like we talk about the Delta to overtake in Formula One as being a second, two seconds sometimes. I have to be that much faster or I'm not going to make this pass happen. DRS has helped that some. In IndyCar, you're talking about cars that are separated by thousandth of a second and they all the overtakes yeah. are going to be quality. The tire strategy, there's fuel strategy that all plays into it. And then, as you say, there's also the strategy with push to pass. And more of it is in the driver's hands. The cars and engineers can and do make a difference along with the strategist. But so much more, it's much more 50-50 between driver and team than it is in Formula One, where it's about 99% car and 1% driver. Oh, I don't think so. Do you know I'm not going to have that argument. I don't I've think it's about, quite, it's not about, that it's much. True. I think look, the, 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 definitely the, the, the team sets the overall position of the car, but you can't say a driver doesn't make a difference in in formula one you know you you can look at you can name a million teams over the last 10 years where there was clearly one best driver that was getting results and a driver in an identical car 
you know, didn't get that result. So I just think, what did you say, 95? I think that's a little high. I think, okay, I will cite 2017 as a season where Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen or Fernando Alonso in that Ferrari. Yes, yes, yes. You caught me. You hooked me in. There was a number of drivers who would have won that 2017 championship in that Ferrari. The driver can make a difference. It's not 95%. Catman. Git. <laughs> <laughs> it's also down to the aerodynamics in IndyCar as well. In the fact that they're not so heavily reliant on aerodynamics means that they can follow and they can overtake easier. So as you said, Matt, it's all about pure overtakes rather than manufactured. And that's why I absolutely love IndyCar. Uh, but, but Christina, don't they love a, a little bit of a manufactured competition caution, you know, much in the way that F1 is now going down that route? Yes and no. I mean, IndyCar, IndyCar this past weekend, they had their practice run at Indianapolis for the Indy 500. And one of the drivers got released and bumped into one of the other cars. And they just had a nice little apology on Twitter. They were just like, sorry, man. And he was like, it's all good. Your, your crew chief already came and apologized to me. So it's, Yes, they have drama and yes, they have tense moments, but they also travel together and they all live together in the same buildings a lot of the time in Indianapolis. So that friendship and that sense of community, I think, is also just a little bit different, especially because they're not necessarily directly competing with their teammates in a lot of the same way that they are in Formula One. I think you're mistaking IndyCar with NASCAR, which is the WWE of racing. Uh, me, you think Spanners. I'm I'm doing that? Spanners. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, not, not, not clean, sorry. Uh, so it's NASCAR it's... that's got the reputation for the competition cautions and everything like that. So, oh, so I have. I'm sorry, IndyCar. I apologise, and I will. What, what's mm-hmm. the event that I'm tuning into? The Indy 500, and that is Indy when? 500, in, yes. in in April, May, in May. In May, yeah. The whole oh, month God. of May is the IndyCar month, and they do have a documentary that is coming out this Thursday, I believe. The hard part is that it's only available on the CW. So if you're not in America, you have to be sneaky. You have to break the law. Okay, someone explain to me how to do that. Matt? Uh, There's also, I will say, on Netflix, at least American Netflix, a lovely documentary about Scott Dixon called Born to Mm -hmm. Race. And if you are indie curious... That would be a really, really good one to watch to dip your toe a bit deeper into the water. I don't know if it's available in UK or in Europe. Okay, but back to Formula One. I think the push to pass is the most interesting thing that sparked things off in my head here. So you have a certain amount of pushes that give you an extra boost. So, you know, tactically, uh, you know, if we applied that to Formula One and replaced DRS, how would that play out? Because I do kind of wonder if, if you know, DRS did a job and it was a sticking plaster. And it was always meant to be, I think, a bit of a temporary solution to to the knee-jerk reaction of, we need more aero to make the cars faster. Ultimate lap time is all that matters. F1 went massively in the wrong direction with that a couple of times. And in fact, historically through F1, they've been doing the opposite. They've tried to slow the cars down. Groove tyres. Bring, bring groove tyres back. Um, groove tyres. Uh, removing the window of of aero that they're allowed to use yet a couple of times they've had a knee-jerk reaction where the cars are too slow bolted on tons of downforce and inevitably made this whole passing you know problem uh, even worse and drs was a sticking plaster just to make sure people wouldn't get bogged down but here's my here's my thing Catman. if you did a, a a a push to pass which is limited in place of drs which is effectively unlimited as long as you're within a second a car who qualifies badly or a car who is 
further in, back in the pack than you know under qualifies they, they will always be at a disadvantage because even if they get through the pack they're now up with the leaders who haven't had to use their their push to pass so doesn't it just kind of just exacerbate this thing of the people at the front have an advantage over the people at the rear if if you're looking at people trying to work their way through a pack then absolutely but if you're looking at people who've got similar spec machines driving against each other then it actually makes sense because you don't even need to use push to pass you could just say you can use drs 20 times during a race you could do drs works exceptionally well you don't need a a boost button or like a an eighth gear like they do in the movies all you need is just the (laughs) drs flap to open and and that would work so i think yeah you should be punished for qualifying poorly um but I think oh. it would make the racing purer because you could, if you could use it for attack and defense as well, that would make it better, I think. Oh, yeah, good point. Yes, so the, the car in front could have DRS as well. Matt? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, and this is this has long been on the list of Summer's favorite solutions to DRS. Either give them a timed percentage of the Grand Prix or give them in a specific number of times they can use it and let the drivers have to use it tactically as they do in IndyCar, what would it put it into? DRS trains, for one, because you'd run out of passes pretty quickly, wouldn't you? So it actually, I mean, if for cars that are faster, it should wind up being an advantage unless they qualify poorly. And then they're going to have to be real careful about how they use it because they won't be able to get round people they would normally get round if they'd started further up. It would actually make qualifying more important than it currently is, something that we have discussed on this very show. Qualifying, where we're going, we don't need no stinking qualifying. Because we're going to Baku, where we're going to have a sprint race. That's right, more sprint races, more excitement, endless action. The action can never, ever stop. I miss not having to talk about sprint races but they are coming up matt and you seem excited i'm just wondering how you could not have started that baku to the future oh. how could you have missed that baku okay. to the future the sprint race is here uncle steve we're gonna have to edit that in uh in post Sorry. so baku to the future where we're going we don't need no stinking qualifying but i look sunday was a, a time that i could say to my family i'm, I'm ring fencing it there's basically a barrier mentally around dad and the TV, and you do not intrude this space. And for two hours, every few weeks, that arrangement worked well. And then occasionally, if there was time, I go, I'm just, I'm going to catch the qualifying, actually. Going to catch the qualifying. If I miss it, no problem. I can catch up with it later. But seeing as I've done, I've done all the dishes, I've done my chores, does anyone mind? I've played Patank in the garden. I can go and watch qualifying now. And then... Obviously, Fridays at work, you have an earbud in and you pretend you, you're looking at a spreadsheet, whilst in fact you're listening to BBC Checkered Flag practice commentary or something like that. So there was this stag- staggered and staged build-up of importance. But now we've come to the point where the karting event that we're doing in uh, in the south of England, email spanners at mistapex.net, now only 42 spaces, email me now, subject line karting, that event falls on the Austrian Grand Prix. And uh, I didn't realise until looking at the calendar that there is a sprint race right in the middle of our event. And I emailed out to our patrons and I said, would anyone not go to a, uh, a karting event because it clashed with the sprint race? And and pretty much everyone said, screw the sprint race. I don't care. I'm going to come karting. 
So is it really as important to everyone, Matt, as F1 seems to think it is? They've got the viewing figures that said more people tuned in to the sprint race than, uh, than, the, than the qualifying and more people tuned into the Friday qualifying than they did Friday practice. So that's it. They've got a sniff of it and they're hooked. Uh, they are. And I will say that your lack of care about the sprint race will only extend until Perez wins one or more. Vamos, Jacko! You'll be very, you'll be very interested in, in all the sprint racing that's going on. No, what's most interesting is that we know now, or at least it's been widely put forth, that the Saturday sprints are not setting the Sunday grids, the Friday qualifying. That's will. good. And what we don't know, but what is very, very intriguing, is that the qualifying for the sprint race will now be a separate Saturday morning thing. And the only thing they've said about it so far is that it will be shorter. Christina. Yeah. And I mean, let's keep in mind as well, it hasn't been confirmed that that new format's going to be used at Baku. Oh, they've, yeah. they've said most likely it's going to be, but they're trying. Pirelli already shipped out the tires. Like, that's the thing. And so if they're changing the format and they're going to change tire allocation, they're really limited on that right now because Pirelli already shipped those out months ago. So we'll see what happens. But the thing is, I enjoy the concept of sprint races. I like the idea of getting more racing on the weekend. That I don't have a problem with. But their execution of it definitely needs work. And my biggest annoyance is them saying, oh, well, we have stats to back up the fact that more people watch these sprint races. You yeah. have six data points. Yeah. Six. They've had two years of three sprint races each. That is, that's not good data. Are you kidding me? That's, it, that's compared to the number of Grand Prix we've had, that is a, a tiny, tiny little percentage. And, and does, my, does my begrudging view of the sprint race, does that count towards the statistics that they're you know, the fact that, you know, I was, we were house hunting and I arranged it and then I was sat in a kid's playground last year and watching one of the sprint races like on my phone because, yeah, because I'm an addict and they know, they know I'm an addict and they know I'm going to try my best to watch that sprint race, even though I would have been perfectly happy just having qualifying and then the main event. Is the, is the sheer number of views kind of, kind of worth it? And uh, the thing is, I'm arguing against myself, Matt, because... I will watch every sprint race that I have an opportunity to. And they, and they know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the question is, do you want an FP3 and a qualifying? Or yes. do you want a qualifying, oh. a qualifying and a race <laughs> in a weekend? I mean, I mean, and, and let's not forget, too, that one of the arguments, and I think it's a fair argument, is that this is a big win for race promoters where sprint races happen okay. because it yeah. makes the tickets a lot more worthwhile. You can come on a Saturday and you can see a qualifying and a race on a Saturday. You can see a race on a Sunday. You can see a practice session and a qualifying on a Friday. Every day has something that really matters to the overall weekend. Catman, I'm going to be positive. Let's you and me, let's be positive here for a second. What's going to be, what's good about it? If it decides the grid for Sunday, I'm annoyed. It's annoying. That's a stupid thing to do. It unshuffles the grid. It's pointless. It's just like having the first stint of Sunday's race. It's a bit long. Sunday's race is a bit longer, but the first stint is on Saturday. What's the point? If it's a separate championship, I don't care at all. That will literally give me the excuse to not watch it. Actually, this solution, where it is part of the championship, but the races don't affect each other, yeah, that's in a world where I'm not going to get my own way of them bogging all the way off. This is okay. 
That was you being positive, was it? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Uh, I wouldn't watch it if it was a separate championship. I mean, I would, of course, as you said. I know. Let's pretend. Yeah, we wouldn't watch it, Cameron. They're abusing (laughs) us. It's not fair. But I, I do think that I value my my weekends at one point they were suggesting that they were going to make it a two-day weekend and just condense everything into that and and that would be okay because as you said i have to compete with work and all that sort of stuff i I just don't think that diluting out the racing makes it better one main blue ribbon event is far better than lots of little drip fed victories Uh, so that was the max verstappen suggestion Instead of sprint races, if you want to make it more interesting because the teams have fewer sessions to dial in setups, just make it a two-day weekend. Unfortunately, I think, you know, the um, again, the business side of Formula One is not really looking to lose days, nor are promoters. But it's not diluting. This is, uh, I I get so argumentative here. This is me having a rant. Sorry. I get so argumentative about this. The sprint race is really its own unique thing because it's on fresh tires, on low fuel, and we see faster lap times than we do in the actual Grand Prix when we get to that same point in the race. So there's not, the strategy is a little bit different, mostly based on what tires you choose to race on. But it, but it's the drivers being called upon to have a slightly different set of skills in order to score points that will count in the championship uh, right now because the sprint race championship is not a separate thing. Uh, okay, so still feel like Christine is the most positive uh, on on these, and uh, that you'll just you know you'll eat up every uh, race they have to offer. If I'm going to be positive, I'm going to lean over to your side. I think I do like. The fact that they get one little practice warm up session and then they're they're straight into the action that could mix things up. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it all comes back to the fact that we've only had six of them. I feel like that's just not enough time for me to actually care because last year when we had sprint races, I was like, oh, okay, I'm tuning in anyway. This is just me watching something different. Okay, they're racing again. Okay, that's perfectly fine. Like it, I think I'll care more this year now that there are six of them. But oh, there's six it's this like, year. Yes, there oh. are six of them. Well, that's you breaking that news to me. I had, I yeah. must have known that, but I've forgotten it. I'd forgotten it. There's six. Let, 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 let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest. They aren't politely asking us if we'd like sprint races. They, they're just, they're just doing it slowly enough that we don't complain too much. It is the future. We've got to stop being grumpy old gits about it and uh, and and crack on. Um, so before we uh, end the show on talking about what upgrades we might think might be around the corner, I just want to quickly have a little bit of a story time with Uncle Catman. Everybody gather round the tree. Uncle Catman's going to take us back in time 15 years to a time when uh, Alonso wasn't definitely dating the biggest pop star on the planet. A time when Lewis Hamilton had just thrown away a world championship and was claiming his first world title. When Massa, a pre-accident Massa, was setting the world alight and the reigning champion was Kimi Raikkonen. But, Catman, was Kimi Raikkonen the 2008 contender that we've all forgotten about? And the jazz no. was just for me. You don't get jazz. You can I was earn the say, jazz. What, what old man music are you putting over my story time here? It's just I didn't know what I was going to say. So I thought if there was jazz covering, I could have had dead air and it would have been fine. Like they do on Radio 1. 
all the time. Yeah. Well, so the answer to your question, Spanners, is, is no. No, he wasn't the, the forgotten contender. Um, everybody, it's been brought up recently it with, has, with yeah. Felipe deciding to um, relive uh, his past trauma. I think it's healthy to relive your past traumas, but maybe, you know, so now's the time to let them lie. We, we said we wouldn't talk about it, but basically uh, <laughs> it came to light in a Bernie interview and Bernie's always seems to be motivated to Bernie Eccleston to say, to say things, frankly, that denigrate and put down Lewis Hamilton. It's a, a barely disguised agenda, but he said, we knew in season that uh, at Singapore, the uh, Nelson PK Jr. had been told deliberately to crash to allow Fernando Alonso well, to yeah. benefit from the safety car and win the race. And and then everyone said, well, given that knowledge, that race should have been cancelled and Massa should have been declared world champion. And that's why 2008, I think, is back in everyone's consciousness. It is. And then people have decided to run with that to say all things about all different seasons and it's just gone a bit mad. But as you said, though, I, I think the issue really is that would that have affected the outcome? Would people have seeing things differently not really and you asked specifically about Kimi Raikkonen and I think that he's an odd character for sure but also he was very prone to the odd weekend where he just wouldn't turn up and I don't know why that is maybe he was having too many ice creams on yachts but (laughs) to be to be fair to him he did have a few issues that year he had some breakdowns he had some team errors and some bad luck but the Ferrari that year was very difficult to drive. It was very fast, but very difficult to drive. And he crashed seven times during the season. Ooh, unforced errors. Because I know there was, uh, obviously, there was a crash that I posted about on Twitter where in the Montreal Grand Prix, and the, the question that someone had asked on Twitter was, what's the like the dumbest thing your favourite driver has ever done? And straight away, it's Lewis Hamilton just smashing into the back of Kimi Raikkonen in the pit lane when there was a red light and Kimi Raikkonen just very casually got out of his car, stood up, pointed at the red light and walked away. So that, it's like, that's the level of his fury at that. But that's what led me to think, you know, not all of those incidents were his fault. Absolutely. And and he did have a few incidents of bad luck with that. He had problems with the safety car in Australia, but overriding for me was his crashes. He crashed a lot when it was wet. As I say, the, that was a year when they just, um, had taken traction control off the car. So both him and Massa, I think, really struggled to adapt to that new regulation change. And he just, he crashed a lot. He had very poor qualifying, which meant that he had to really race through the pack a lot of times. So, you know, he was constantly much further down the pack. He just couldn't make the same of the package that Felipe Massa could. And this was Lewis Hamilton when he was a young lad. Massa, when he was probably at his peak, and we're not, I'm not saying for a moment that Massa at his peak was anything like Lewis or Kimi at his peak. Yeah. Okay. Good. And I just think Kimi just wasn't, just wasn't there for most of the season. I don't know why. Maybe he was just enjoying things too much and and just not turning up to the races. Yeah. Peaky, peaky performance. So, in conclusion, Catman, was Kimi Raikkonen the silent 2008 contender we've all forgotten about? You're kind of saying, meh no, no big thumbs big thumbs down um yeah i think we should go back and revisit all the seasons for massive injustices the damon hill schumacher give damon hill that first world title in 94 oh. 94 australia stupid australia stealing 
Damon Hills Championship. Uh, right, let's finish off talking about the upgrades that we expect to see coming in uh, in the upcoming races, or perhaps uh, you know in Baku, but perhaps stretching out to to Imola. What do we think's coming up? Looking around my panel, has anyone got any optimism for any of the teams for any upcoming upgrades? Matt Two Rumpets, you are Matt PT fifty five on Twitter. Your wife still sells a range of books. She is called Amanda Weaver, and people should search for her books. We should put a link in the show notes to her books. They would make ideal presents for anybody wanting a distracting and engaging romantic novel. Indeed, especially if uh, the giver of said novel wants a couple of hours to watch Formula One over a weekend. Mm-hmm. Just put yeah. it out there. And try um, not to think about Matt's wife's romantic novels as Matt Trumpet's fan fiction, because I can't not think of it that way. And I've bought seven. I'm on my eighth A Weaver book. They're I'm good, addicted. aren't they? They're I'm really addicted. good. Um, I, I might be slightly biased in that viewpoint, to be fair. No, uh, what, so the fun thing about this, the upgrades, we've had, we've had basically longer than summer break for teams to get whatever act they have together. And what we know, the biggest things we know are the two M's, Mercedes and McLaren, both of whom have said more or less, yeah, we have B-spec cars coming compared to what originally showed up on track. Yeah. And we would expect to see both of them sometime or in bits and pieces between Baku and Imla. And I think there's another team that Christina might want to talk about <laughs> that has also been making some noises. Oh, this is going to be Alpine again. When will this end? It, it is going to be Alpine. I mean, they... I said yeah, it already in the show, so but... no way. Just, they're no. starting from a good baseline. And do they probably have to spend some time now actually, you know fixing their dang cars and there was oh i'd have to look to see if i'm remembering this correctly but there was that little bit of pessimism that popped in of being like we have to completely rebuild cars now are we going to be able to bring our upgrades or are we going to have to dedicate a lot of that time to rebuilding those cars so that's my excuse that's your excuse that keeps on giving yeah you know it's a can they actually bring an upgrade or are they going to have to spend that time and their machines rebuilding those cars? So, right. You'll have to forgive us because there's a bit of history here with Matt, who has long been a, a Renault sympathizer and now is an Alpine fan. And, and Ocon going there has not helped that at all because he's a massive Ocon fanboy. But um, I, I've been putting up with Matt saying next season, just around the corner, just around the corner, you'll see Renault are going to uh, dominate and be a proper grown-up works team so let's quantify this because matt has a habit of going well they did finish sixth which is quite good for for renault renault should be aiming at <coughs> at world championships so what would constitute success for, for you two let's start with you christina for your prediction and your optimism to be correct what would we see from alpine honestly i just want them to have a race where they don't make a mistake or they just finish is that is that what like- I I will be happy as yeah. a fan of theirs to see both of their cars cross the finish line and both of their drivers saying, we didn't make any stupid mistakes. We put our best performances that we could to this day out. That as a fan, I will be happy. As a critic, though, I want to see that car actually, you know, fighting with people. Mm-hmm. Because in those last couple of races we saw as well, a lot of the times the Alpines were kind of just floating off in no man land. And I mean, that was kind of true for a lot of Bahrain and Jeddah for a lot of the teams. But, you know, Australia, we got a peak of Gasly actually 
holding off some of the faster cars, actually competing with them. So I want to see that competition come yeah. back. As a critic, that'll make me happy to have them have a car that actually goes wheel to wheel with someone else. Do you, Would you be offended if I said that that was quite a low bar? Not at all. <laughs> like I, Is it a low bar? Yes. But right now, my optimism in them is... <laughs> <laughs> it's a little low. I'm still hurting a little bit from Australia, quite frankly. And as well, like, yes, they're elite athletes. Yes, they have that mentality. But it, it still can be a bit of an effort to come back from a hit like that, where you know, especially Gasly, you made a mistake. You know you did. You can hear it in his voice. He's just like, he's going to be his biggest critic on that one. So I'm just excited to see if they actually fully come out of the gates. And if I'm going to be super critical, I want them to actually be finishing ahead of one or two of either the mercedes or the ferraris wow that would put me happy wow uh, matt i'll go to you because i think that that would be wildly ambitious i think if you're alpine right now and you're an alpine fan points that's i think that's what we're talking you know if you got two cars in the points that would be a wildly successful alpine weekend right now uh until the gasly ocon imbroglio they had fifth and sixth kind of locked up on those last two laps because Ocon, despite losing his strategy, and let's not forget in Australia, he was put on lap two onto the hard tire to go to the end, not needing a pit stop, got absolutely neutered by the red flags mm-hmm. and fought his way back into the points, caught caught up to Gasly. And on the start, and it had Gasly not come into him, it would have been two Alpines finishing fifth and sixth in that race. But I, I take Christina's point and... I take a little more heart because uh, to me, uh, like I said, 95%, 5%, that's about right. Both Gasly and Alcon are talented drivers. And the thing in Australia really, I think, was a failure of uh, race direction. There's a reason they started that race earlier. It's because of the sun. The starting straight is right into the sun. And that caused, frank- frankly, I think a lot of the problems both with Sargent and with, um, with Gasly into turn one. That aside, what gives me real hope for Alpine is the fact they've gone to pushrod rear suspension. So they have a lot more ground to cover. They, they've changed their rear suspension. So there's a lot more knowledge for them to gain, a lot more okay. room for them to improve, and a lot of new tools for them to use to make this progress. In terms of quantifying that, what I would say is I think Christina is essentially correct. What you would be looking for is in any given race for one or both Alpines to be on or near the pace of either an Aston, a Mercedes, or a Ferrari. And a lot of that is going to vary based on the characteristics of the tracks where they race. But yeah, this is their gap. They, they, they plan to find another four or five tens to put themselves into the conversation with the teams that aren't named Red Bull, but are named Mercedes, Ferrari, and Aston. That would be success for them by the end of the season. Catman, Chris Catman-Turner, at CatmanF1 on Twitter. Speaking of low expectations and low bars for success, you're, you're, I, I see you as a McLaren fan. I don't know if I've just inferred that like out of context, but I've, I've always seen you as a, as a McLaren slash Williams fan. Yeah, McLaren is my team, and it, it hurts. I'm I'm going to take the piss out of Alpine to try and divert from my own problems. <laughs> Go on, you do that, but we are coming back to McLaren. Okay, fine. Um, who put these two on together? Honestly, I know, it was unplanned. If I'd have known Nothing there was going to be ever happened to this show, two Alpine fans on, I would have I would have spread it out. Yeah, I just I have one point to make about Alpine, and then I'll move on to McLaren's woes. But um, 
when Daniel Ricciardo left Red Bull to join Renault and they had this master plan of saying, we're going to spend little money but become champions, do you know what year they targeted as that championship winning <laughs> it was 2021 wow wow well, so, and that was one of the least optimistic ones but that's the one because they they kept setting these targets for for success for improvement that just never seemed to come but i think cyril abitable had had set in motion a, a five-year plan is, is as far as i could tell and i think 2021 was like that that's the end that's the yeah. last chance saloon um let's bring in otmar yeah, absolutely. But they're making they're making steady progress. They've you know there's a a graph that tells you they've kind of been at fourth or fifth in the championship for the last three or four years now. The gap hasn't necessarily been closing effectively. Trumpets, you said it was four or five tenths to the to the cars in front, and in F one that is an absolute lifetime. And well, when, and, and you talking race pace? Are you talking quality pace? What? Uh, this would be race pace, and this would be. Pat Fry talking about what they need to find, in his opinion, to be at the back end of the Aston Mercedes Ferrari pack. So he's saying over the course of the next of the rest of the season, if they find that much, they think they will be in they will be in with a shout in some races to to be fighting legitimately with these cars and you know i will yeah. point out it, it took the other cars a while to get round gasly when they got round him when he was he when he was running further up the order uh, it, and, so like like there are hints and signs and there's a reason a beatable is doing world rally championship for hyundai now and not running a formula one team anymore so so the potential exists i'm not saying it's going to be a minted reality because that would be foolish of me but the potential exists with a car design and, and with the engineering that they have that they might find that gap. And there's quite a gap back to McLaren, isn't there, Catman? Oh, yeah, I hadn't forgotten about ah. it. Uh, I was reminded earlier, well Catman. I was reminded earlier of the size zero concept. So we were talking about Mercedes, no pods. And I remembered the McLaren size zero and went and did a, a little bit of a digging, digging on it. And it was 2015. They came out with this real tight package. And it was a year after they declared, you can't win the championship if you've got a customer engine. We're not going to... They weren't even the second best Mercedes team. Williams were beating them at the time. And, and they just kept making these radical choices. We've got to be different. We've got to be wild. We've got to be crazy. Size zero. They came up with the flappy, cooler things on the back of the... It was like a giant parachute that quickly got abandoned. And it just, it just felt like they, they kept having to play a wild joker and that was the thing that was going to get them back on top because in 2015 they were still a top team that were just having a little dip that dip's gone on you know an awful long time what i'd like to see from mclaren and i'm sure you would is just getting the you know getting the fundamentals right and getting back up there to being a, a championship team absolutely and unfortunately they've lost the guy uh, who i thought could do that andreas seidel has moved on to the Audi project. So I think he would have been the guy to have done that. As you said, as we said earlier on, I think teams need stability in their technical department to be able to produce a decent result. You know, these guys get there because they know what they're doing and they have, you know, proven track records. So give them stability and they can produce results. The problem is if you swap and change every few years, you start getting to the point where it's like our British government in that they, they look short term <laughs> rather than going long term. So it's the same idea. That's as much political as I ever get. I have no strong opinions one way or the other. <laughs> so 
Yeah, unfortunately for, for McLaren, I, I do think that, that they are in a bit of a, a problem at the moment and they're only going backwards. I alluded last time that I think that the, the, the relatively naive driver pairing might be responsible for that. And I do think that's the case, but I don't know if they, they necessarily have the, the technical ability at this point to be able to challenge further. Trumpets, I know you've got insight on that. Uh, I do. And, and in fact, we will recall that McLaren, along with Mercedes, is one of the teams that, that knew they weren't going to be ready for the start of the season. They have essentially a B-spec package coming, and we should, I think, see it somewhere between Baku and Imola. And at that point, we'll know sort of where they really are. But possibly the biggest upgrade for McLaren is going to be their change in engineering structure, which everybody seems to be pretty happy about, and which is I think hastened actually by the departure of Stella um, or, or by Seidel rather, because Stella is there now. And he's a longtime McLaren person. And in discussions with, with, with Brown, essentially what they came to is there were some problems that should have been resolved with the design of this car going back, I think to 2021 that weren't. And that was an issue for them. And they have sought to, alleviate or solve that problem by improving the structure of their engineering department. But they hasten to add, we are not going back to the matrix style that was brought in by Ron Dennis shortly before he flamed out in his, um, in his war with the other financiers. Oh, I forgot about matrix. Matrix F1 was like total football, but for Formula One. Yeah, it was, it was baffling. No one understood it. And it, it <laughs> was a disaster on many, many levels. But if I'm a McLaren fan, I would actually have a reasonable amount of optimism. I think they've done better than they would have expected with a car they knew wasn't competitive. Piastri has done a good job, more so than Ricardo. And if the upgrades bring the, uh, bring the performance, they hope then they're going to be in the conversation once again with Alpine and whichever the slowest of the Mercedes Ferrari Aston teams is on a race by race basis. I'm, I'm missing you being here last week when you were going on too much. I could just jab at you, but now I can't reach across the internet. You're far away. It's just lies because, because all you want is for me to show up and bring more whiskey bottles to you. Do, and keep it away from Kyle so I can have some next time. That would some be fantastic. The next hey, day. <laughs> uh, but, but we got some really positive feedback for, for the show where we had six of the, the crew here in, in the house, in the shed, uh, doing a, a live show. And I really did want to see what we'd be like interacting with each other in person. And it went down really well. I enjoyed it. Um, and those episodes are, are, are edited a little bit more. But I was surprised at how little I had to edit out. It was all all technical edits and, and it went well. And it's given me the confidence to say, well, let's go ahead and book some some venues. So we're looking for a venue in June in London to go and do a live show. Plus, I am trying uh, before the karting event on July 1st to do something podcast wise for the people that turn up for the karting. So we'll do a podcast, go and do some karting, pizza and chips and then and then some beer and a social try and find somewhere to crash uh, those nights tend to uh, to get a little bit messy but they've always been very very enjoyable so email spanners at mistapex.net if you want to come karting with us what else what else do i need to remind you about be a patron patreon.com forward slash mistapex because we do our friday previews our patrons have been enjoying them so after friday practice me and matt jump on and we just waffle 
very much in the old doom scrolling remain indoors podcast style so that's been going down well uh, that's open for any tier so 199 uh, a month dollars $1.99 a month um you get that you get an ad free feed and at the five dollar tier come and join us in our patron slack group which is a great place to be and you find out about things like live shows and uh podcast uh live podcasts and karting first patreon.com forward slash missed apex it's the reason missed apex survives go and follow my panel firstly our new friend christina uh, i believe we go to christina.formula1 on tiktok there we go correct. and you're on twitter also I am on Twitter at Christina Lee Mace. Yeah, you won't uh, you won't regret it. Go and follow Christina. Go and check out her content. It's very popular. It's popular for a reason. The links will be in the show notes below. You can follow Catman. His content is less popular because it's mainly uh, like putting your arm uh, up a cow in a big glove. That's mainly what you do day to day as a vet. Pretty much, or a hamster, whichever you prefer. Ooh, it's much more of a challenge. Uh, smaller glove, though. Save money yeah. on gloves. At CatmanF1 on Twitter. Go give my crew a follow. Go follow them. Their links are always in the show notes below. And you guys, not enough of you follow Matt. At MattPT55 on Twitter. He has opinions, and he will tell you them whether you want them or not. And go and follow him on Instagram and Facebook, because we do get a lot of live uh, and interesting pictures from your your jazz and your saxophone and trumpets or whatever. And it's a good follow. I I like to think so. And yeah, I I do have a habit of dropping the occasional photo from a live venue where I'm performing for those who like that kind of thing. Go and search for Matt Trumpets on Instagram and Facebook. And follow me. I'm the best one. Spanners Ready on Twitter. Richard Ready on Facebook. And follow the show at Missed Apex F1. Subscribe. Tell your friends that Missed Apex is fine and it's broadly a, a nice place to hang out. One last thing, if the sprint race on the Saturday is a point scoring race rather than deciding the grid for Sunday, we are going to bring a B crew in to do a short race preview. That's my plan. So to do a sprint race preview and then you can pick that up and you can listen to it or not. It's up to you. Uh, But we'll do a proper race review concentrating on the race itself on Sunday. I think that's the plan. I think it's as good a plan as any. And until we see you next, work hard. Be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.